This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey everybody, Carm Capriato and direct, direct from Madison Heights, Michigan. Hey Bill. Hey brother, how you doing? Uh, my good friend Bill Nalu, Interstate Auto Care. So, <laughs> you were telling me the other day, you're empty nesting. Yeah, Nick just bought his house and so we now have three extra bedrooms. I think we're going to have to Airbnb this. You know, any shop owner friends that are in Michigan with the Lions winning, I mean the Lions are 60 minutes away from a Super Bowl here. That's the world's coming to an end, Mark Carm. My condolences to you and your bills, by the way. Yeah, as everyone can realize, we're recording this on the day after our, oh my God, don't even get me started as to what could have gone wrong. All right. (laughs) I know you're paying over 60 years. Yeah, I know. I hear you. And uh, good for you. Congrats. Congrats. There was a lot of people that wanted to see the, the lions and the bills. There was a ton of people. Same here. You know, if your car breaks down, where do you take it? To your locally trusted independent repair shop. What if your shop cannot access the vehicle data and only the manufacturer has access? But who owns the data? You, the vehicle owner, or the manufacturer? Well, join the fight to help support Right to Repair by completing the form at autocareadvocacy.org slash NAPA, which sends a letter to your member of Congress today. Right to repair legislation protects your access to vehicle data and scan tools. This is critically important for the automotive, heavy-duty paint, and body industries. So, my friend, as we were chatting about the the whole empty nester thing, and I believe there's a thousand or more, maybe five thousand shop owners in our world that are either seeing that on the horizon, they're entering it now, or they've already been through it, empty nesting. And there's so much to learn. It's it's almost like have we done this right? Have we've done that right? Because now you're reflecting back. How did we raise Tracy? How did we raise Matt? How did you raise Elise? How did you raise Nick? And I think the concept of our reflection and how well we did what we did goes back to how the work family is, Bill. This episode, as you were asking me for some talking points, I literally just jotted down, what, 10, 15 things that I had to do that Michelle, you, Annie, had to do much of it, us stumbling over each other to learn them. We make the mistake with the firstborn, and then the secondborn says they're supposed to be the more refined version of that. It would be great if they were carbon copies of each other, right? (laughs) Good luck with that one. Yeah. And so these things sort of popped up in my head, and I think to myself, what are the lessons that we instilled as parents in my Eagle Scout son in the days when my daughter lost four volleyball matches in a row and you got to pick up these poor kids on the floor just dying, you know, I'm, I'm such a loser. How do we pick them up and how do we apply some of these principles, some of these techniques? What are some of these life hacks that we can employ as parents, that we employed as parents and bring them into our, our work family? And I submit to you that there's not a single one listening to this episode that can't apply something here. Even if you are a one-person shop owner at this point, I would hope to God that you're planning on hiring people. I would hope to God that if you're, if you're single and you're the shop owner and you're literally living at your shop, eventually you're going to need to bring somebody into your life at home and at work. And so I hope that you'll be listening to this episode as two fathers, as two husbands, as two entrepreneurs, kick things back and forth and talk about some of the things that make the husband, the wife, the father, the mother, the son, the daughter, 
part of this uh, incredible dynamic that that we have as as families. I mean, that, that it's the center. It's the center of our civilization as we know it. Why in the world wouldn't it apply to our aftermarket? You're right. Hey, who is the tougher disciplinarian, you or Michelle? That's a good question. I think not on a physical level. I'm definitely the disciplinarian. I'm the one that. Michelle would say, wait till your dad gets home. (laughs) Well, I lived with that. Some of this here, Carm, is going to sound traditionalist when we talk about this. But I think for the sake of this conversation, it just just go with us here. If you guys are listening to this, this is meant to be a partnership. This is a partnership of a for the sake of of simplicity here. It's a husband and a wife and some children. Picture, leave it to Beaver, right? Starting there. And so with that in mind, one of the things that I remember us sort of going with, and I wrote this down here, it says, dad cuts and mom heals. And this is nothing more than good cop, bad cop here, right? Wait till your dad gets home. You're really in trouble now. And then dad comes home and then he lays down the law. And then the kids come running to mom. Oh, I can't believe it. You know, he's grounded me for a week now and all this other stuff. And mom is wise enough to sit back and not question what dad's doing. Because if she has a problem with it or vice versa, they would talk about this privately. She wouldn't sell him out, nor would he sell her out. They would do this privately. And again, all these are, you hear these pop up. How often do I, as a shop owner, cut down what Nick's doing, my service manager is doing, and I overrule him. As you guys are listening to this, you how many of us have done this? Undercut, you know, a service manager says, I can't give you a, a discount. And then that customer runs over to me and I do give him a discount. And then we wonder why the manager looks and goes, what the hell am I doing here for then? What do you need me for if I'm not, if I can't make my own calls, if you won't let me run this ship? So those are some of the things that pop into my head. I put here effective parenting guides and then the kids perform. When Nick was in Boy Scouts, one of the things that we fathers would uh, say to each other, the deal made was I would never talk to Nick about something. I would never reprimand him or correct him while we were on a campsite. It would have to come from another father. And so the deal was you come talk to my Nick and then I talk to your Matt. That gives enough distance. There's enough professional professionalism there where Matt, if I say something to Matt, Matt's not going to say, yeah, don't worry about it. I got this, dad. I got this right. He's not going to say that to me, nor would Nick say that to you. Of distance there where they have to be professional. And then the other part of that is what's more beautiful than seeing a young person trip and fall through things, affordable life happenings in their life. Like there's a, there's this parenting coach. His name is uh, Chick Mormon. When he was doing therapy, this lady calls him up one day and she says, this lady's inconsolable. She goes, I can't believe it. He goes, what's going on? What's going on? He's breathe, breathe with me. And she said, my son, Joey, she says, what about him? He's six years old. And we were walking out of a drugstore and the security guard stopped us. He said that he thinks that he took something and sure enough, I go into his pocket and there's a candy bar. He stole a candy bar. And and so Chick says to her, he says to her, well, that's that's perfect. And she says to him, perfect? What do you mean perfect? He goes, it, it's perfect. Says, I'm calling you. I'm paying you to help me with this. I'm telling you my son is a thief. And your answer to me is it's perfect? He goes, of course it's perfect. He goes, would you lend him to learn that stealing is bad at six years old over a candy bar? Or at 16 years old over Grand Theft Auto? And so it's those lessons along the way that cost next to nothing, rob them of when we take over and we become helicopter parents. 
Are you listening to me, fellow shop owners? Bill, I got to stop you for a moment. I mean, to find the opportunity at a very young age or at any employee doing anything that kind of constricts against the culture, the honesty, the integrity that you've built as a business, what they have learned from you to do something wrong. And if we ignore it and say, ah, he's only six years old, we'll handle this when he gets older, or we don't think it was that grievous. At six years old, he may not necessarily understand what we're trying to tell him. Ah, I think you put your six-year-old hat on and you have that conversation or you have that conversation with an employee who's only been with you four months versus four years. I think you have a completely different kind of conversation, but you still have it. Yeah. Here's another one. Reprimanding a child in front of their peers. You can take them and you can grab them and you can shame them in front of their peers, or you can set them off to the side and say, now, what could we have done differently? How could we ask for a different outcome? What, what, what could we do to, to get a different outcome the next time? And the next time is a great word to, to reset somebody here. What are we going to do the next time? And how does that work at work? So clearly, clearly we failed the customer at this point. What are we going to do to prevent them ever leaving the shop without sad thing being done to their vehicle here, whether it's an oil change reminder, you know, an an engine rebuild, the customer leaves without the oil light being reset. And now all of a sudden, 20 some hours of work, front of house, rear of house is negated because the customer now has to question whether the rest of the work is done properly. So much of this resides in proper leadership and being okay with things going wrong and understanding ahead of the time when this goes back, when this is going to happen, not if this is going to happen, when this is going to happen, how are we going to take care of this so that it doesn't happen again? When I think about teaching our people at work culture, and it's not difficult to do because you have a vision, you know what you want. Culture is is bringing the value story and telling the stories. Why did you start your business? What do we believe in? How often do we really sit down with our own kids as they're growing up and have the culture story with them? Here's the family. Here's our namesake. Here's who we believe in. Here's honesty and integrity. Dad does this. Mom does this. I don't recall but I think it was St. Anne who helped really raise the kids to a very high degree because I was never home. I was always traveling. When do you have that meeting with the kids? I don't think you ever do. I think you're hoping that they observe you, watch you, take your lead versus at work. I think you got to sit down in those one-on-ones and in those team meetings to get that across. How do you do it at home? I mean, yeah, you catch him doing something wrong and you write it. You tell the story that we have grown up with. Uh, Wait till your dad gets home and then I would hear the jingle of the belt on the way up the stairs. And you talk about fear and being petrified because back then you could wield your kid and not have to worry about it because I wasn't going to tell anybody because I did wrong. Did your Italian father say the following to you that my Arab father said to me one day, I was uh, what, 14, 15 years old. And my father looks at me and he says to me, sit down, son, I got something to tell you. He says, he says, you know, we came to America. He says, we gave up middle-class lifestyle, traveled through two different continents to get here. This was in 1975. And he says, he says, look, I just want to let you know, he says, if I ever, if I ever find out you become some drunk or drug addict living under a freeway underpass, he says, I'm going to find you. And I'm going to kill you. And I'm looking at it and like, okay. He says, and if you think that's the worst of it, he says, I'm going to kill your mother. I'm going to kill your brother. I'm going to kill your sister. And he says, and just before I kill myself, I'm going to kill the dog as well. And I'm listening to this maniac. I'm going, where is this guy? Where is he going with this? He says, are you, are you curious about why I would do something like that? And I'm like, yeah. If I've done all, if I've worked six days, seven days a week, 
having to learn two other languages, traveled across the world to bring you to this wonderful America with all of its opportunities. If my children don't take advantage of this opportunity, if they become losers, I got nothing to live for. My life is utterly worthless. And while that sounds insane to most people, like this is your father's a little bit crazy here. Yeah, yeah, FBI crazy. Yeah. While that sounds crazy, it's set an expectation that my legacy is is worth carrying. How that translates to our work family, when one of our employees wears a uniform, they need to understand that they're wearing our brand, that, that they conduct themselves in, in the most professional way. When they're driving somewhere, they're test driving a vehicle. When they go to get gas at a gas station for one of the loaner cars, whatever the hell is going on, when they put on that uniform, they need to take pride in the family that represents them. And so again, you see these correlations between parenting and how we, and you find, I think the best organizations are places where kids did not have it easy, did not have helicopter parents, did not suffer from a better safe than sorry upbringing, whereby we're gonna bubble wrap you and you can't go out at night and you can't do this and you can't do that. There's something really, really important about sharing authority with your children, giving them just enough to sort of hang themselves and pulling them off the news just before they die <laughs> and saying, okay. A reality of doing business today is facing a technician shortage and Napa Auto Care is a free solution with the Napa Auto Care Apprentice Program. The program was pioneered by one of our own, Pete McNeil and master technician Jake Sorensen from McNeil's Auto Care in Sandy, Utah, and they realized that the problem of not having technicians available for hire was not going to solve itself and decided to take action. A focus was put on younger individuals with the right passion, desire, aptitude, and attitude to work in the automotive repair industry. Jake and Pete sought after these individuals and developed a technician apprentice program to give them the training needed to become a successful technician in today's world. The Napa Auto Care Apprentice Program includes a comprehensive nine-stage curriculum that includes a variety of types of training, including exclusive in-depth classroom training videos, instructor-led Napa Auto Tech classes, web-based Auto Tech e-learning courses, and practice skills with hands-on learning in the shop with the guidance of a mentor. The Apprentice Program curriculum is competency-based, meaning an apprentice can move through each stage at a pace that best suits them. Most apprentices complete the program within two years, and upon completion, apprentices will have earned four ASE certifications, G1, A4, A5, and AC certifications, adding industry validation to the skills an apprentice acquires. Apprentice graduates are also registered with the Department of Labor as journey worker automotive technicians. Having an apprentice in your shop will ultimately benefit your shop as they advance through the program. In most cases, as the apprentice develops their skill set producing billable hours, you'll see a growth in your gross profit by stage five. One of the largest entry barriers for individuals looking to enter the automotive repair industry is the cost of tools. To keep your apprentice motivated, they receive an apprentice toolkit including a four-drawer tool cart for all registered apprentices. Together, Nap Auto Care and your shop can fix the technician shortage. Start now, grow your own, and build your bench. Our future technicians can come from our concentrated efforts, and it's free. Contact your NAPA representative to learn more, or log in to member.napaautocare.com, or contact your servicing NAPA Auto Parts stores sales representative. You talk about 
tough hearing that from your dad. I mean, I'm sitting here all wrenched up at putting myself in, in your place when he said that to you. And I couldn't relate to anything like that in our family. Our family, Grandpa was the immigrant back in the ni- early 1900s, came here, married Grandma Rose, had the three boys, lost one in World War II, and Grandpa, who was my bestest friend growing up, was a constable, helped build the water, was a, an entrepreneur, coal, ice, fuel oil, excavation. I mean, they had almost, you named the business and they were in it, right? And did I, did I mention they helped build the church? And so when I was in school, that was right next door to my house and the business, the teachers made sure that I was going to grow up straight and narrow. I'll never forget fifth grade math I was having. I was struggling with 12, tables of 12 or something like that in the math class. It was Mr. McNally. I just remembered his name. He said to me, he says, you got to do your dad proud. He'd be very upset with you. You're a very well-known family in this neighborhood that you can't get your 12 tables. <laughs> and I was kind of embarrassed. But grandpa taught us integrity and honesty. There is nothing wrong with teaching your kids that and your employees, because what else do you have to stand on, Bill? Yeah. When Nick got his Eagle Scout, I think it was in vocation for being Eagle Scouts. One of the things that the Scoutmaster explains to these young men is that once you put that eagle pin on, you are marked men. I almost get teary eyes thinking about this because what you're saying to them, I suppose, never had the privilege of serving in the military, but I suppose when you were serving, once you put that uniform on, once you you were one of them, you knew that you had to uphold a higher standard because you were no longer just representing your family that brought you into this world, you now represent a family that can save the world. It's a, it's a different dynamic, and yet it's the same thing. I just find it such a fascinating thing to see these kinds of things. And, and the, the other part of that was, in, in one of the talking points, was how important it is for the people in charge, for that husband and wife, for that owner-manager, to be fundamentally on the same page. Because if you're not, if you're not, they're going to destroy you. The people coming over the wall, whether they are your own children who you love more than life itself, or whether they're your employees who you couldn't run a business without, they will naturally eat you up alive and you would deserve it. Because how can you sell each other out? How can you cut? I've done that. I've done that as an owner, shamefully. I've done that. I've walked in to a shop and overfunctioned. The hell am I doing? What was I thinking? Telling the kids at that point in time, yeah, don't worry about mom here. We're we're gonna have ice cream. It's okay, don't worry about it, whatever it might be. What is that saying to them? And we had to take parenting classes in order for us to learn that. You probably heard the story before, Kerm. We Michelle and I took parenting classes years ago when Nick was like two or three years old. And because when we adopted the kids, we had to take parenting classes. It was part of the process and everything else that we had to go through. FBI, local fingerprints, biographies, social worker, and parenting classes. We did it as a requirement. Bill, why did you guys do it? Because you weren't required. How about this? Do, do these parenting conferences or parenting classes, what do they look like in the aftermarket? Where do you go for counseling? Where do you go for, is there maybe a set of coaches? Could you maybe take coaching? You see the correlation between that. Effective parents get parenting classes. Even when you look up to them, you say, man, these are, these are some great parents. How the hell do you think they got there? They didn't, they weren't born that way. 
And so to the same effect, it's one of those things where like when we went to this parenting class, she said, she said, how many of you here, what are some of the attributes that you want to instill in your 18 year old on their 18th birthday? And so she gets out the whiteboard and she starts listing all these things, she thinks things like honest and dependable and, and loving and all this stuff. And at the end of it, she says, OK, I'm going to break you up in groups of three and you're going to come up with one of those things. And we had 50 things on the board and we thought this would be an impossible thing that, that we would find one thing. Well, as it turns out, there's one item that ranks above, even above loving. What could be more important to instill into a child than even being a loving child? It's independence because at some point in time, we would want Joey or Janie to leave the basement. You're 35 years old playing video games, sucking up diet Pepsi. It's time to go. How many of us, again, take coming out of the house, I, we're going to, we go back and forth, back and forth in this talk that we have here between home. You may, you, as you're listening to this, may not be able to hear whether we're talking about home or work. And my question to you is what the hell's the difference? They apply. I don't want to interrupt your thought, but I think I got some great piece to nail in this episode. Being close to Nick and Elise, and there are so many owners that have family in the business, sons, daughters, nieces, nephews, really. My, here's my point. Is can I think about a level of closeness? Listen, my dad, he worked 18-hour days. I wasn't close to my dad at home. It was me and mom. And when my, my mom had a train accident and died when I was in my 20s, that was huge. It was huge. We were, Ann and I were married about a year when it happened. And because I, I was close to mom, because dad wasn't there, but I was working in the business, okay? And so were we close in the business? Yeah and no, because dad wasn't the warm and fuzzy kind of guy. He was the out front leader and working his butt off, never stopped. And when he came home, he would eat and go back to work, Bill. Okay. My point to you, can you be the same kind of close to Nick from home? And I know you worked your butt off to build your business. Let's analyze the closeness at home, the closeness at work of our own kids, flesh and blood. How do you see it? Well, first and foremost, I never knew that about your mom. You know, I, I thought we knew each other well enough. I am so, so sorry. Yeah. Many years ago. She was only 51, I think. And it was right near home. You know how they say that if you're going to have an accident, it happens within so many miles of home. Went over a set of railroad tracks. She probably went over, you know, thousands of times in her life. Wasn't paying attention. There were no, you know, gates that came down. And they, of course, put gates up a, a month later. But it's one of those things, you know, when you lose a parent, it takes time to, to grieve and, and get over it. You know, it's like one of your favorite movies and you can recite certain passages and funny lines from a movie. There's a reel that I won't forget about that. When you describe that story, something changed you permanently. It's not all bad and it's not all good at the same time. And I guess this is how I would apply it to our work families. Something really bad happens. Maybe it's a partnership. Maybe it's two brothers working in a business had a really, really bad falling out. And you as a shop owner spend the rest next 10, 15, 20 years never really trusting anybody, never trusting them with your money, never trusting them with your time, never trusting them with their time, never trusting customers. And at some point in time, you either get carried out of your business and your business gets sold for 10 cents on the dollar for what the equipment's worth, or you learn to walk away and just hand it over to the next generation. And the next generation doesn't have to be flesh and blood. It just has to be a work family 
that understands the standard that you set and the fact that hopefully, hopefully that you've learned to walk the talk, that you're not a raging hypocrite, that you're not somebody that is, that preaches timeliness, but you get to exempt yourself, that you insist that everybody pays for their car repairs, but you don't because it's your money, because it's your shop, that everybody treats the customers with utmost of respect, but you can go off on them because you're the owner. And I'm, I'm not saying this somehow to preach like perfection. This is a confessional. There's plenty of times, like one of the things I've said, I've said this to Dutch and I have sort of the same personality when it comes to this. I think the least I'm afforded for working my ass off all of my life is when I have a customer I don't think I need to deal with, somebody that I can afford to fire because we just don't see eye to eye, that I can say to them, this isn't Costco. This is who I am. The little privilege that I have is that I get to decide who I do business with. But could we do it with a little bit easier? <laughs> can, we, can we do this? That's not so inflammatory. That's, that isn't dripping an ego. I see that on the backside of that. And I go back now to our, to our home. How many times have you, have you scolded the kids or did something? And you think, damn, you know what? Why did I do that? I could have handled that a different way. Why did I give them the answer to the question instead of giving them the question for an answer? The old thing here, hey, dad, can we have ice cream? You and I would probably say, eh, no, you can't have ice cream. Because we're just not, we're not the superior species. They ask mom, hey mom, can we have ice cream? Now you might say, you and I might say, well, no, you can't have any ice cream because we haven't had dinner yet. That's great. We all know how well no works in selling, right? In talking to customers. But mom is wise enough to say, yes, you can have ice cream right after we have dinner. How does that translate to what we do for a living? Can you give me a price on a break job? No, I can't give you a price, click. But if I say, yes, I can give you a break job, here's how we can do it. Do you prefer Monday or a Tuesday appointment here? Absolutely, we can give you a price on that. It's a no, but wrapped in a yes. We have to learn to speak parent talk. We have to learn that language and apply it. In every area of the business, both customers and uh, team members, I'm not sure we really fleshed out my ask to you about the closeness between what happens at work and what happens in the family because there's so many shop owners that have family in the business. If they weren't necessarily that close to a child, but they wanted to come into work, would they experience, well, I wasn't ever that close. All right, we'll give them a chance. Or it's a chance to fix it. It's a chance to someone into your vision at work. Family vision, family culture, different than work. Maybe yes, maybe no, but it's a second chance to get close. I'm not ready to define the word close. Intimate as a son, intimate as a team member, a succession plan. How many episodes have I done where people says, we didn't know anything about the money, mom never told us, and then we lost dad, then we lost mom, and we realized we didn't have any money, we had to start from scratch, and we, we had to build ourselves up because the parents weren't willing to share and open up and get close to their children. Either they were hiding something or they felt, when it's time for you to learn, we'll teach you. And my God, Bill, it's almost like you can take some of the parenting rules from home, but I think business, they're the same but they're almost bigger and larger, uh, wider. I think because we have big, we have more family members outside the home than we do inside the home. In that regard, I think there are more people. There's more that can go wrong the bigger the group is. And so, I mean, you know, we're a group of eight. It's not not a terribly big thing. But once you start adding 
pieces to it. Once you start adding the people that come into our place of business, the, the thousands of customers that are coming through the door, the suppliers that come, the salespeople that come through the door, it's an interesting dynamic to see how certain people that come into our work home gravitate to certain people because they feel that that person is the lever for what they're trying to accomplish. Isn't that interesting? They know they can get the yes out of somebody else over some. And again, it's one of those things where if we're talking about, I don't know, maybe it's a situation where somebody's a little bit more diplomatic. That's the time to send in your comm service advisor to take care of that customer who's irate. And you have a technically brilliant service advisor who can't, who doesn't have the emotional intelligence to be able to connect with that person on a level that says, Karma, I just want you to know, I'm really, really sorry that we failed you today. And I feel ashamed of myself as a result of that. But with setting that aside, let me tell you how we're going to, that I'm hoping to make up for that. I'm hoping you can forgive me and we can get past this point. And this is what I'm going to do here, right? It takes emotional intelligence to be able to do that. And again, it's like husband and wife, male, female, yin, yang, Mars, Venus kind of mentality. We're built differently. The opportunities to come out of the same household, identical to your siblings, and then to find a spouse that you're going to be identical with. It's like a fingerprint. Impossible. Impossible. So again, I take what we learn in, in, as parents and as sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. Again, we're applying it to what happens at work. Why do we want to create robots at work? Why do we think that every single person has to follow some stupid script about how we're going to interview this customer? If I want to say it a little differently and I still get there, leave me the hell alone. Let me function. Let me do my job. Tell me what you want me to do and get the hell out of my way. I always thought scripts were great guides when it came to learning how to build relationships. We're going to use these words instead of those words. And once you get those words down, like recommend, then it just flows naturally. I, if I looked, if I talked to any service advisor that's been around the horn says, yeah, I had a coach and yeah, there were scripts, but now it's all natural, baby. And I know exactly what to do and how to say it. And I write a million bucks this year and blah, blah, blah. And they're so proud of themselves, but they continue to go to training. They were to training. They petition, they play in uh, role plays. They want to be good and they, they want to hone their skills. It's, it's kind of like Tiger. Why would he have to play golf every day? Because if you don't use it, you lose it. As you're describing this, I don't know why, I'm picturing a jazz aficionado just losing it. In his, you could just see them melting into their instrument. You just see them like they squirm and they just squint and they just, and there's no script for what they're doing. There's no script and people are just in awe. And yet, if you said to somebody, could you write down what you just did here? They say, what the hell are you talking about? How do you teach somebody something that they have this natural gift and then they work their ass off to be able to hone that skill. That's the other part of this is when we go to parent children, some kids are, are naturally gifted at math. Some of them are naturally gifted at, at music. Whatever that gift is, I don't think they just show up. They're not Mozart. I don't know how many Mozarts we have in our households. They're not four years old and they can play symphonies. There's a lot of work that comes along with that gift that you have to hone. And I think at work, you have people that are really gifted. You see so much of potential in them and we ride them extra hard because we see that potential in them. And because we don't apply grace and love to it, because I don't get to say to you, Carm, I just want you to know the reason I'm being tough on you is because I think 
you're capable of so much more here. Rather than that, I use you as my whipping boy and I just drive it into your head to the point where you're an utterly worthless piece of garbage. And by the way, somehow, some way, the only reason that you and I are still working together is because that's the role you're filling because there's something that you identify with in a father role or something of that sort. This is the kind of stuff that therapists pull out of people. I'm sure as hell not that, but these are the kinds of that Michelle being a professional therapist that she is, this is the kind of stuff that professionals pull out of people that a professional business coach, when they're working with your service advisors, a Clint White would be able to see through that and say, what's this dynamic here? What's going on here? Why is this coming up here? Those are the kinds of people that I encourage you, if you're a technician, for God's sakes, if you're a technician listening to this episode, encourage the people in charge to get the necessary training to make your work family all that it can be. So you're close to Nick at home. You come home, you expect him to be close at work, but Nick is now realizing, oh, there's a different set of rules here, okay? Listen, you may not have been as close as you wanted while he was a teen, but he got a little older, he got a little bit more mature, and he started to realize, oh, my God, mom and dad aren't as bad as they, uh, I thought they were during my formative teen years. And now he's got new responsibilities. He's going to training, going to conferences, and you're close. You're a business close instead of you are family close. And it's the old story, husband and wives work together, they go Thanksgiving dinner, do they talk? Does the family talk business or not? When they go home at night, do they find safe space and they don't talk business? It's like when you work 724 to build a business, you can't turn it off, so you go home, now you're empty nesting, and you're talking more business, and Michelle probably doesn't even wanna hear it anymore. This whole episode started about empty nesting. And so maybe that's a really cool story is that do you take more work home now that you know she's going to listen more? Nick, he's my teacher in this regard. Nick knows work-life balance. I think he was born with a, a sense of, of himself and understanding. He does not need to sacrifice to the level that, that his father did. The same exact dynamic that your grandfather, who essentially sacrificed his entire life to give your father a a slightly better life so that this Carm Capriato that, that we know and love today gets to be able to stand on the shoulders of that family that came before him. And without even knowing maternal side of your family, I mean, that that's a whole other level. Hello, lived and died in that kitchen and taking care of the family and all that others, worrying to death at everybody. So so that's the other component as far as, as far as Nick's concerned. He's got work-life balance and he teaches me that. And so he he knows when to shut it off. The other part of that is, it's interesting how Michelle and I, the only time we get into our arguments is when Michelle comes into our conversations with Nick and I. She'll make a comment about work of some kind. It might be a comment about we're having a conversation about car count, or it might be about labor rates or whatever it might be. And Michelle will make an unqualified comment about it. But profound comment. <laughs> Sometimes profound, but nonetheless sort of unqualified coming at it from the kind of consumer that she is. And by the way, she's not our avatar. She's my best friend and the love of my life is not my customer avatar, not even close. And so with that said, Nick and I will look at her and we'll say, why are you involved in this, mom? <laughs> so to my example earlier is the second parent doesn't need to be involved in this equation. There's times when Nick and Elise and Michelle are having a conversation or Nick and Michelle are having a conversation. I need to just let mom do her thing. I don't, we, we don't need 
two parents involved in this process, right? You're a shop owner. Your manager is doing his thing. Let him or her do her thing. Let them do their freaking jobs that you're paying them to do. They can't blossom unless you give them the rope. But Carm, you don't understand. The wisdom that comes out of my mouth is so profound that only I can say this thing. The people we have at the shop turn wrenches. They're so unique. They got to go to this mountaintop in Japan to be able to turn the wrenches just a certain way. Nobody else can do what we can do. Comes from you and your wisdom and your light and your here it is, here it is. And you know what? We'll never learn if we don't make a mistake or three. We don't hurt a knuckle or wear a bandage because Bill said to do it like this. And I found that it works really good this way. Get out of my space, Bill. <laughs> Listen, I understand you bring a young person on for the first time. You've got to put him in front of the back of the cart and drive him down the road a little bit. But there's a point in time where you got you got to get them out and deliver the goods on their own. If we didn't know that infants can naturally swim, you're like, what? It's evidenced. They, they can naturally swim. <laughs> Just be there to keep them from drowning. <laughs> And oh, by the way, dance. My little granddaughter, who's three, I remember she was like one and a half and she was in the deep end of the YMCA pool. We, we go there and, and watch her swim with her mom. And then just recently, hey guys, Nani and Papa, you got to come and watch Alana dance. So at three years old, she's dancing like she was a musketeer. No fear, no nothing, taking instruction. And it's every once in a while, think, about, think back, we look at athletes and say they, they were born to do this and when was that lightning bolt from the sky come down and anoint this person to be passionate about being a golfer a football player etc etc something like that how do you know and i'm sitting there watching alana on the video camera because you can't go in the studio where they're dancing and i'm watching her and i'm saying is it possible that she could be a great dancer someday but the parents got her involved in all these different things to maybe quote quote test the waters to see if she likes something it's like when we put tracy in ice ice skating and it was a really a cool run for a while until she discovered horses now she continues to love horses and ride every week you just never know what a person's individual love will be but built way back to your point about bill's wisdom you got to let them fly a little bit. You got to get them some wings. Do you remember in the E-Myth, the Asera lost her love for what was going on between her and her aunt? At some point in time, if you haven't read the E-Myth, oh my God, the story is unbelievable. This is somebody who forgot that this work environment is about being something. It's not about doing and so if you ever find yourself, if you, today you find yourself trapped in being the, the technician and the shop owner and the shuttle driver and the service advisor, at some point in time, it will get easier, but you've got to bring people on. You've got to let go a little bit. You've got to bring people in are probably not going to do everything exactly the way you can do it because you're the best at everything because it's literally your name on the building. And it's literally your butt on the line if something goes wrong. But at some point in time, you got to bring in a second pair of butts so that somebody else's butt can be hit while yours is healing, while yours is doing something else that's more productive for this work family that you own and that you love. I just think there was so much incredible dialogue and wisdom in this thing. Home family to work family. Effective parents don't get involved unless it's a health or safety issue. Oftentimes we have technicians that they're not organized, right? Their tools are. In, in, and so let's say you're the most organized technician in the world. Do you really think it's a good idea 
for you to walk up to somebody, let's say pumping 40, 50 hours a week. What business is that of yours, whether they're leaving tools set aside or, or, or just whatever? Again, if somebody's tripping over it and somebody got hurt or is going to get hurt, that's a health or safety issue. But if the technician has just got his tools sort of everywhere and it's sort of his own little world, that's they're comfortable in working in that space. Leave them the hell alone. As long as the output, as long as the result is they're being productive and they're doing it in a way that achieves the goal that you set for them. What business is that of yours of how they get there? Well, you could have some arguments on that, and I may pick one with you, but I'm not ready to have that fight. I, I think a certain image and the right culture and the safety and the cleanliness, I think that all wraps up into all of that. And there's a lot of conflict that I think that can happen, but if you're trying to create and grow people and do, have them do the best that they can, and this is, this is the world they want to live in, and you can tolerate how that looks... But stop and think what lean means being organized. I mean, people can, you can improve productivity by someone finding greater strengths and disciplines and organizations and cleanliness and fix up and clean up. But anyway, I didn't mean to go there. I'm all for it, by the way. I love having things organized, but again, it goes back to the hypocrisy. I'm creative. So my office isn't exactly the most organized place on the planet. So this is my workspace. Maybe I should clean up my space before I tell somebody else. I've been in there and it, it didn't look too chaotic. Not as chaotic as probably mine looks. See, it has to be in front of me because if I put it away, I forget it, Bill. Is that how you are? Yes, squirrel everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. The last one I'll leave you with is as leaders, as parents, we need to understand the difference between encouragement and praise. In parenting, praise is Jenny or Johnny comes over and say, hey, dad, what do you think about my drawing here? And God help you if you say, wow, this is this is absolutely beautiful. I've never seen a more beautiful drawing in my whole life. And then 10 minutes later, they show you another one and you say, oh, my, this is even better than the last one. And in my head, I'm thinking, wait a minute here. I just asked dad the first one I spent four hours on. And he said that was that was beautiful. The second one I spent 10 minutes on. He tells me that that one is better than the first one. Now, that's, that might be a silly argument. What is Johnny translating at this point in time? That effort isn't important, that I'm going to get praise from dad, no matter what, because he loves me more than life itself. But encouragement sounds like this. So, Bill, you've done, this is really, this is really great. Let me ask you this, before I tell you what I think of it, why don't you tell me what you think of this? Well, I think I could have painted better. I could have stayed within the lines here on this drawing. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and I could have probably used more color over here. Yeah, I can see that as well. Yeah. And so all of a sudden now I don't even need your praise anymore because I've just answered my own question. I've gotten the encouragement from a leader, a boss, a father that says, you don't need me to be, you don't, I'm not about to turn my son or my daughter or my employee or my person I work with into a praise junkie because that's all you get is folks that just constantly want that hit. And so encouragement comes from the inside out, whereas praise is an outside hit. And in case you haven't noticed, this entire world in social media is all about praise, praise, praise. Very little encouragement. Participation trophies. And don't get me started on that. That's a whole other episode. Just don't, because when I was coaching Matt, anyway, I won't even go there. <laughs> One day, you, you and I got to come back and we got to talk about that. In my incident, coaching Matt, in roller hockey and the participation trophies that I did not know in the league that they were going to give out. And I got very, very mad. <laughs> and I went up to the dads. 
<laughs> Remember, I was an older parent. We, you know, because we tried for years to have kids. So I was hell when we went to uh, first grade. Uh, parent teachers, uh, teacher could have been my kid, right? Long story short, is I went to younger dads, and they were okay with the participation trophy because it was a different generation, and and I wasn't. So there was some conflict with it. When our baseball team, when I was young, didn't win, we didn't get no marble and gold. Anyway, I'm sorry. I digressed. This was so good. It was a wonderful walk through the the parenting skills from in the home and at work. I would hope that many of our shop owners that uh, have this situation. Email uh, Bill or I, Carm at RemarkableResults.biz. It's easy to find Bill. He's on social media. And just share some of the stuff. Maybe we got to post this episode on the Remarkable Results community page and see some kind of input that we get. Because I think this is a great, great topic. My grandson always, he's a drawer. He, it's, it's a five years old. I mean, you talk about he's a drawer. And when he brings me pictures, I praise him to the point where that's really nice. What is it? Explain that to me. Can you go back and add a tree to that or something like that? I'm trying to make sure that Donovan doesn't live in a participation trophy world. Yes. Great points. Great points, my friend. Bill Nalu, Interstate Auto Care, Medicine Heights, Michigan. As always, thank you so much for being and sharing, buddy. All right, man. Bye-bye. We'll talk soon. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.